Good evening, everyone. The time is now 4 p.m. and welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Angel Young, and in remembrance of Congressman and Civil Rights Leader John Lewis, I'm here once again with part two of last week's episode, Policing the Police, to talk about the racial injustice that, that has and continues to be perpetrated towards the African-American community, specifically when dealing with law enforcement. This podcast is meant to give the youth and young adults of our generation a voice to speak on topics concerning racial injustice, systemic oppression, and other issues that have a direct impact on our generation. In my last episode, we talked about the history of law enforcement and how over the years it has increasingly contributed to the marginalization, degradation, mass incarceration, and systemic oppression of African-American people in their communities. Now, in the wake of Congressman John Lewis's funeral and everything that he stood for, I and many other youth and young adults in this nation and around the world are calling for justice now. One such young adult is a gentleman that I have known since middle school, who in light of the recent injustices that have surfaced across the media is doing what he can to further the movement and participate in the activism, all the while managing his summer college courses. Kareem, welcome to a seat at the table. And thank you for joining us today. Hello, happy to be here. Now, Kareem, I want to get straight into this hot subject because we've just witnessed a passing of the torch through the unfortunate death of John Lewis. I mean, here was a man who fought his whole youth and young adult life for the equal rights of African Americans in this country, a man whose legacy shall continue to live on. Kareem, with all that's taken place, I'd, I'd like to get your insight on our current state of affairs. What do you see the role of young adults being in this climate that we're living in? Well, young adults are really going to be the main line for keeping this issue topical within the mass media. Many media stations don't like to cover any protests or rallies that don't have anything negative or turn into any type of riots that don't agree with our standings on things. We can see now as the protests continue that the mass media refuses to give us any type of recognition when things don't turn well newsworthy or to sell papers or to get clicks on their sites. This leads the older generation to believe we stopped our crusade, thus putting the people with the most voting power and have the most voting turnouts to think they don't need to vote on these issues because we don't care anymore. We gotta let people know that we still care and we gotta bring back that kind of Black Panther energy where people always knew that we were taking charge in our communities and our neighborhoods and that this issue is not gonna be just left to its own devices. Kareem, I completely agree. These issues must remain at the forefront as time goes on. It really is up to us, like you said, to bring these issues to light because if we don't, who else will? The torch has been passed from generation to generation. And while some progress has been made, sometimes some isn't enough. We're in the year 2020 and we're still reaping the effects of this new Jim Crow, which essentially started in the late 1900s. So even as we all start back to school, I, I encourage everyone to continue to be active, whether that be taking time out to learn about central issues that continue to plague our nation or organizing events that enable others to be educated on such issues. It's imperative, imperative that we not only continue the movement, but allow other people to learn and be engaged in it as well. Now, Kareem, you mentioned to me at one point while we were speaking on the phone that what we need is radical change. 
that you experienced an enlightenment of sorts towards the issues that have continued to persist across this nation, especially pertaining to the criminal justice system. What made you come to that realization and how did it fuel you to get involved? When I was a lot younger, like nine or 10, I couldn't really, I didn't really care about racial injustice or any type of discrimination or even racism, mostly because I didn't really understand what it meant, what these subtle injustices or systemic oppression really looked like as I was more blinded by my kind of childlike innocence. I think yeah, as you get older and these cases become more and more, I wouldn't say like to say common, but apparent and more and more, you know, televised and recorded, you start to see things that's like, you know, I look like that. I don't want to be in that situation. You know, then you start to learn about things about racism and racial injustice. And you're like, this is just happening all again. The black men in particular, they're killed with such, you know, near efficiency and just in droves. And you look at them and then you look at yourself and you notice the similarities and differences between them, your friends, your family. And you don't want to see that. You don't want to see that happen to you or anyone else you know. You see that this thing issue runs deep and that this issue is not going to be solved in, you know, a month or even maybe a year. It's going to be maybe even a couple of years before we see any type of noticeable change. But that doesn't mean we have to stop fighting. That just means we have to keep fighting to see it. I completely agree when you say these issues run deep, especially when it pertains to criminal injustice. Like, like I said before, these racial issues manifested themselves in the mid to late 1900s, but it did so in a way that it could persist through time. So while we know the prison industrial complex, for example, and the mass incarceration of African-Americans exists, they've constructed it in such a way that it would be so ingrained into our society that it would take an effort, like you said, to get rid of it. So I do agree in saying that these systemic issues will involve persistent effort on our part in order for change to be made in the future. Another one of the things we've conversed about is how the harsh and brutal treatment of African-Americans from some police isn't a new issue, but rather one that has become widely recognized due to advancements in technology. So how has technology and social media, in your opinion, helped to unveil how some police treat innocent and in some cases mentally ill African-American men and women as opposed to non-people of color? Well, it's as simple as, you know, evidence and just like pure substance of, you know, what we're seeing and how we're seeing it and higher and higher qualities. People often talk about doctoring videos or coroner's reports often talk about, you know, underlying issues or medical conditions. But when you get 17 different videos of different angles, sorry, of the same video with different qualities and audios and details, it becomes apparent that these people are just trying to save, you know, their own, their own hides really, and just make sure people don't see what's happening. But that's not really a thing anymore, like it was back in the day when recording software, even pictures weren't that common. And you can see, sorry, you can see now that people and police specifically don't treat a mentally ill minorities any differently than with a mentally ill criminal and often leads to you know what they say with accidents of some mentally ill people being injured or even kills and that's just not what we want to see but we we do see it and while that is a double-edged sword it's important to know that now we have all this evidence that we can do something with it 
Exactly. It kind of goes back to what we've been saying this entire time, this whole aspect of we need to stop having the police deal with everything. If there's a mentally ill person struggling or having a hard time, then we should have psychology experts and mental health physicians ready and on hand. And even with the people who aren't mentally ill, you brought up the difference in how police treat actually dangerous people over, for example, African-American people selling weed when we were talking at one point. Some of you may not know this, but Dylan Roof, yes, that Dylan Roof, was taken to a Burger King after his arrest for the Charleston school, uh, church shooting. But then you have people like us who are manhandled into submission and sometimes threatened and abused for what? Selling weed? Trying to survive in the very little that they give us? It's, it's ironic. It's ironic because weed has become such a popularized thing with even just in media and in general that it seems ridiculous that any one person, any minority would be in jail for even a second over with the same, in the same places, you know, real serial killers and killers and criminals just for selling weed, being there for, you know, five to 10 years. That's ridiculous when we have, when it's so ingrained in our culture nowadays. And keeping in mind, just just today, saw in the news, the Boston Marathon bomber got off scot-free from his death sentence. Meanwhile, like we said, there are African-American men and women that are rotting in jail for, once again, just trying to survive. So this is a very real issue that we must constantly be aware of. But if we can get a little deep cream, have you on a personal level? Or anyone close to you ever had their own negative encounter with the police? Well, I've had my, you know, typical, like, people following me around stores and stuff, or just around, like, not in neighborhoods, but just around, like, balls and things, which is, it's convenient that I have a lot of a white best friend, I guess, because it kind of takes the edge off sometimes with, like, security officers and things, because it'll just be, you know, messing around, like, at a Gucci store or somewhere expensive, just, like, you know, hanging out. And you can see, you know, the clerks giving you the side eye and things like that. Most of my family in particular has been extremely lucky in that we've not had any any eventful instances of, you know, police abuse or police power over us. No one's been injured or killed, got killed over, you know, anything as simple as a, you know, I don't know, noise complaints or domestic abuse, something or whatever. You know, I, I like to think that, you know, I, I'm lucky in the sense and that I have to kind of put myself out there more just because I don't want to be in that situation at all, nor do I want anyone else to be in that situation. Well, Kareem, I'm glad that you and your family, for the most part, have been fortunate enough to not have had any negative encounters with law enforcement. I would ask and pray that your family and any other families out there continue to stay vigilant as these are dangerous times that we're living in. But if we could go forward a bit, how about solutions? Some people are calling for police reform, which generally deals with the surface issues of law enforcement rather than the fundamental problems of policing. What do you say to those who are calling for police reform rather than demilitarizing, defunding, and eventually abolishment of the current policing system? Well, I think people don't really understand what 
reform means and it's kind of answering the question itself because we can see that police reform doesn't work because if it did we wouldn't, we wouldn't have this podcast these conversations or this rallying movement you know we would have had we wouldn't have had you know dozens of black men women executed by the police on the streets with videos and reports and coroner's reports and everything in term police abolishment doesn't mean we want to get rid of law enforcement it just means we want a different system while it's it's probably still even going to be called you know the police we're not going to rebrand the whole thing but the system itself will be entirely different than now you know we're going to have different people with different attitudes and different type of you know just whole thought processes i would like to say common sense to them i completely agree i mean for those of you who are listening um, while demilitarization and defunding do go hand in hand in the sense that we are taking money from the policing system and investing it into our communities, abolishing the police or the, or the policing system, excuse me, is in essence doing away with the current policing system through the actions of demilitarization and defunding so that a new policing system with a lesser influence on the community can be built. But Kareem, what about, what about police training? Because that's one of the aspects of police reform. What is your opinion on police training? And what do you say to those people who say, oh, let's just train the police more? Well, you can't, you can't train something out of a person. So you can't train racial injustice or racism out of someone. You can give them more training to deal with it, but that's not going to solve the underlying issues. My idea for a police force is one that has you know, we look at other countries that have like years, sometimes up to like two or three years of training. And I like that idea of like a bigger screening process with more intelligent people, with more common sense. And while more training we probably do need, we also need just a better screening process. We have people straight out of high school, you know, people with hot, like direct KKK or, you know, racial uh, extremists, you know, uh, affiliations that we just, we shouldn't have those people trying to protect, you know, everyone or enforce the law. A lot of people talk about, you know, it takes upwards of, you know, six or seven years to become a lawyer to practice the law, but it only takes, you know, a couple of months to enforce it. And just talking, saying that sounds ridiculous. So we need more time for people. And we also need just less weaponry in general. We see people like, we see the police with like the SWAT teams, which is like, near militaristic levels of weaponry like some police precincts have tanks like that that doesn't seem right if i'm having you know if i have someone in my house that needs help you know or just in danger i don't need them to pull up with a tank to my house i don't think that's helping anyone really that's just instilling fear in the people we don't want the protectors to be just people to be fearful of the protectors like we're seeing now Exactly. So in this whole like militarization, it kind of goes against the whole aspect or whole societal aspect of what the police are seen as the protectors or the people that are supposed to make you feel safe. Well, then how are we supposed to feel safe with them, like you said, carrying around tanks and semi-automatic rifles? But also, as those who are listening, Kareem stated that police in America get at least a month of training or maybe more before they're able to fully enforce the law. But as a matter of fact, if we can get technical for a second, according to the U.S. Bureau of Justice, on average, 
Where it is required, police officers receive a meager six and a half weeks of training, some even less due to the lack of state mandated minimum hours. So when we say police are not properly trained to handle certain situations, we mean it in a very literal sense. So while training is, yeah, that's okay. Essentially, like me and Kareem both said, it has to deal with the fundamental or underlying systemic issues of policing in America. And that can only be dealt with, with the demilitarization, defunding, and eventually abolishment of the current policing system. That being said, with all the petitions and calls for action that have been made over the last couple months, one tends to be subjected to a lot of different views on what change in America should look like. Though essentially it should all lead to the same end result of equal justice, liberty, freedom, and opportunity for all, in your perspective, Kareem, what does change look like with respect to policing? Well, like I said, we got to get more training, less weaponry, and just more intelligent people. I want people that know what they're doing. I want people in our communities, people that live around me. I have a neighbor who's a police officer, and he's a really nice guy. But if I, I would trust him to respond to a situation you know, at my house or around my block because he understands the climate. He understands the type of people living here. Most of the time, when you call a police officer, they're not living in your area. Maybe they're living sometimes close, but not in your particular neighborhood or your particular, you know, sector, sects, or even sometimes city, which you live in. They don't understand how things, what is happening there, what people are dealing with, how people are being impacted, why people are doing what they do. But we see with some, with some precincts that only have local police officers, they understand and thus have less and less rates of anything going wrong because they, people know people and thus, are less likely to just go straight to you know violence or execution. And another thing, we also just need, we need, like I said, I, I'm, I need to reiterate a better screening process. I don't want anyone in the KKK or any racial extremist group to be doing anything with near impunity of the police force that we have here. The, the some police force have f- full bailout, like millions of dollars in bailout money just for if a police officer does something wrong or has like a official charge that they go to jail and they'll just immediately bail them out with the city's money. So it's basically like I'm paying for someone else's mistake, which is ridiculous. So change to you essentially looks like less racial influence, less government and union influence and, and more training, but from those who are familiar with the area. Correct. Yes. But but then we have to ask ourselves, Kareem, what is the duty of a police officer? Because if we're speaking from a place of societal and media influence, their duty is to uphold the law or prevent crime, so to speak. And while that may be true in some cases, the bulk of police work lies in patrol. So So through my eyes, change looks like police having a lesser influence on the community. So I do agree with that whole aspect of maybe having police who are familiar with the area um, dealing with medium to violent crimes such as murder or burglary, but allowing other community services and organizations the ability to flourish, such as mental health services, rehab services, um, schools, education, things like that, things that will 
help the community, and some of you guys might be familiar with this phrase from my last episode, help the, help the community rather than police them. But all in all, these are, these are key steps to identifying the issues with the current policing system so that it can be handled occur, um, accordingly. Do you have anything else to add, Kareem? Uh, I think people in general just need to be, I wouldn't say smarter, but just, I feel like a lot of people today don't have a lot of common sense of just like, or empathy to people. Like a lot of people on the other side who like are talking about, you know, all lives matter and things. All lives matter was never a thing until Black Lives Matter started. Some people just want to see like, or just are selfish to themselves. Like what about, you know, us white people? It's like, it's not about, it's, it's, it's not about, you know, black people just like, you know, becoming the supreme race or something. It's about us being on the same plane as everyone else. It's about eventually all minorities and all people in America having the same playing field and with the same rights and protections, the same, you know, if I see, like you said, with, uh, what was his name? Dylan, Dylan, Ruth. Dylan Ruth. If I say Dylan Ruth, being taken to a Burger King, I I want to see someone like George Floyd be you know taken to a McDonald's or something, for this you know same crime, same protection with the same type of liberties and rights and sentences too that we see. We don't see a lot of nearly any white people in jail for the amount of you know marijuana charges that we do see with black or or cocaine or any type of drug really. We don't see black people white people in jail for that. And we've seen with the tapes released after, you know, with the uh, war on drugs, that the war on drugs was just a plot to get African-Americans incarcerated because white people were scared. And we have to get that that white fear out of here. I, I completely agree. I mean, I feel like personally, the All Lives Matter movement or the Blue Lives Matter movement, I think that can either stem from one of two things. That can either stem from ignorance, as in they don't understand the actual underlying issues of what's going on, because there is extensive research that shows that a lot of the things that counts as crime or gets targeted for control is shaped by racial issues, race, class, inequality, so so on and so forth. But then there's the other side, and I think the other side is actually fearful in which they know what's going on but they're not willing to do anything to change it so i I would like to think and i would i would hope that um situations such as these podcasts um classes organizations would invite not just us african americans and other minorities but their white counterparts and offer them a learning experience. Help them to understand that this is something that is very real and we are trying to change it. It's been going on for over 200 years and we're tired of dealing with it. And that's what the whole Black Lives Matter movement is about. But thank you so much, Cream, for your wonderful input and for taking the time out to speak your voice on a seat at the table. I'm happy to be here. I've, it's good to see that this type of podcast exists for, you know, us young people to get our voices out there. I think it's very important to the movement in general. Thank you. Thank you.
All right. Well, thank you once again, wonderful audience, for tuning in. Remember to continue to do as much as you can to support the movement, especially as it pertains to legislation being passed to hold police accountable for their actions. Make sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe button to get updates on when the next episodes are released. And if you have any constructive comments or questions that you'd like to submit about the topics addressed, feel free to follow and tag us on Instagram at a underscore c underscore at underscore the table, all lowercase. Or if you would like to have a seat at the table in the next discussion, email me at aeyoung76767 at gmail.com and I will try to get you one. That being said, this has been A Seat at the Table, and we'll see you soon.